Welcome to Mind Movement. It's Thursday and uh, week 12 of our stay at home, unbelievably. And on Thursdays, we've been talking about addiction and all things related to addiction because let's face it, uh, it is an unusually difficult time. And I think for those of us um, thinking about, those of us working mental health, thinking about the economy, thinking about COVID, thinking about the political unrest, it's a time where, you know, we look at the statistics, we know that alcohol use is up almost 60%. We know that means things like domestic abuse are uh, rapidly on the rise. And we know that for our clients who have had substance use disorders, it, it is a particularly challenging time. And so today joining me for this conversation is licensed clinical social worker, addiction specialist, anxiety specialist, and trauma specialist, Ms. Evan Lawson. Welcome. Thank, thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. So. We've been talking just really about what we're seeing with our clients. We've had on different, you know, people from the 12-step community, different professionals, just talking about um, the what they're seeing primarily. And I thought it uh, might be interesting first to hear that from you, but then also, you know, how are you advising your clients uh, through this time, given that you know, it's a very anxious time. I would say above all else, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing an uptick in anxiety just because of the level of uncertainty that, you know, we look into the future right now and we just don't know. So let's start with, start with that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my clients are dealing exactly with what you're saying. The uncertainty of COVID of not knowing, you know, if this is, if this is it, if we're going to get a second wave, what does this look like? Um, not knowing, you know, I have clients who are living out of the city, don't know when it's safe to come back into the city, don't know when they should, when they should return to their homes, their apartments, you know, if they're ever going to go back to work, mm. you know? And so the uncertainty of all of that has been really challenging for a lot of people to sit with. Um, and, you know, and so, and also the feeling of some people really enjoy being at home and are kind of thriving in this COVID, you know, this world of not really, you know, not going out, not seeing some people that they normally didn't want to see in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, and then so feeling like anxious about re-entering society after they've gotten really comfortable kind of in this, in this new routine they've created. Mm -hmm. You know, at the beginning of COVID, it was a lot, you know, discussions were a lot around the disruption of life and wanting, wanting some stability, wanting some certainty, wanting some regularity and routine. So a lot of that was around kind of building routines, you know, I really encourage people to leave their houses and go out for walks to get out, you know, being in New York, you're, you are forced to be outside. You're forced to walk to the subway, be on the subway, be around other people, you know, and on some level that's really stressful. And on some level, it's actually great that we're being forced to leave our homes and in some other cities, you know, you walk from your house to the car, you go to the car to the building. And so you're not really exposed to the elements in New York. We are exposed to the elements constantly. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, it was a lot about, you know, encouraging people go for walks during the day, expose yourself, get fresh air on your face, feel it on your skin, 
you know, in addiction, there's, you know, the old saying, like, you know, move a muscle, change a thought. And a lot of people weren't doing that. They weren't, they weren't leaving their homes. Um, and so a lot of kind of the old thoughts were coming back into their heads. People who were more advanced in their recovery were feeling much more isolated or feeling much more stuck in themselves. And so a lot of it was kind of acknowledging that, recognizing what was happening, I think was a big part of it. Recognizing what that being at home by yourself or with, you know, by yourself is one issue. Being with someone else constantly is another issue. Um, <laughs> so, you know, acknowledging that all these things are happening first, you know, within, you know, within a therapeutic setting, you know, one of the things we really, you know, talk about is that you can't make changes until you acknowledge what's happening. And so really recognizing the thoughts that were coming up, the feelings that were coming up, that was a big part of it. Mm -hmm. And so doing that first and then talking about how to instill routines, um, and then, you know, talking about how those are working for them. Um, you know, a big part of with anxiety, you know, there's a couple different ways to manage anxiety. You know, you can talk about um, how to challenge your anxiety, how to challenge anxious thoughts, acknowledge the thoughts that you're having and challenge them, um, which works really well for some people to be able to, you know, talk about fears about COVID um, and, you know, being like, okay, well, I'm going to wear a mask. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm less likely to get COVID. If I can, an N95 mask and I'm less likely to get it and I'll feel more comfortable going to the grocery store or going outside. And, you know, for a lot of times, though, acknowledging that like anxiety actually is a very normal thing to feel right now mm-hmm. and accepting it and saying like, okay, I'm feeling anxious. And you know, the question is, can I feel anxious and still go to the store? Mm-hmm. Do I have to take away all of my anxiety before I do something? Or can I sit with it, acknowledge it and say, all right, I know that I'm feeling anxious, but I'm not going to let that stop me from doing the things I need to do, doing the things I want to do, um, you know, in healthy ways, of course, you know, doing the things that are, you know, actually healthy and not, you know, being large groups of people, for instance, um, at least especially in the beginning. Um, and so, you know, but acknowledging those, acknowledging the anxiety and learning how to sit with it. You know, going back to addiction for a minute, I think a lot of people use substances to manage their anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so acknowledging the anxiety, saying that it's okay that I'm feeling this way. It doesn't mean I have to make it go away. Also talk, you know, taps into, I don't have to drink this away. I don't have to take pills to make this go away. I can... I actually can tolerate this feeling, which sometimes feels intolerable. And so I really work a lot with my clients about how to sit with anxiety and how to tolerate it and say like, actually anxiety is really the feeling of the day, you know, because we don't know what's happening. We don't, you know, I can't tell you that we're going to have a vaccine whenever we don't know, you know, we don't know if there's going to be a second wave coming, you know, scientists are saying that it's very likely we, Will Cuomo was saying, you know, we're really in control of whether it does or not. If we wear masks and we are really careful, then hopefully we won't get one or won't get a really big one. Um, and I think that's, I think there's a lot of validity to that. Um, but we really don't know the future. We can't predict the future. You know, it'd be great if we could, but we can't. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning how to tolerate that anxiety and, you know, acknowledge those feelings, I think has been really a really big part of the, of the work with a lot of my clients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At, 
in what we do. So at Mind Movement, we're always talking about awareness, always, always talking about, right? Like you said, if you don't know that, don't, if you don't know there's a problem, then you certainly can't do anything about it. And there is, it is such a normal emotion, a normal reaction to what's going on right now, no matter where you look there is a sense of uncertainty, whether you put on the news, pick up your phone, no matter if we're talking about COVID, about the economy, about work, about the political sphere, which is also by itself, each one of these things by themselves is unnerving. And so it would be almost unusual, (laughs) almost delusional in a way, to not feel a sense of uncertainty right now and then I think the question is, can you, like you were saying, you know, learn how to manage it? Because on the other side of that, though, is, is a freedom. So for somebody like me, I love uncertainty and I like it because to me, it's freedom. It means, you know, sure. I don't have anything that I have to be doing at any particular moment. I can be anywhere I want to be. And I'm fortunate enough to be in that position. And so, but, but that, you know, that is also a part of this. If you can tweak maybe your perspective a little bit, there might be a way to make this a positive thing in some regard, right? Not, of course, not dismissing the severity of the situation, but trying to say, all right, how can I make the best of this? But if I don't acknowledge that there's something going on and I try to just put my head in the, in the sand, then I, of course, can't do anything about it. Um, I wonder what I've been seeing. So my clients who are really prone to anxiety have all kinds of tools. And so they're, they're really the ones that I'm finding are faring the best in all of this because mm-hmm. we know how to handle it. Whereas newer clients who, you know, maybe didn't ever really have these kinds of problems or uh, folks who were maybe on the um, little on shaky ground prior to this really have fallen out. I've really hit a wall. Some are, I'm noticing kind of becoming a little bit agoraphobic, not like you were saying, not wanting to leave the house for a number of reasons. But I'm also seeing a lot more um, inability to manage frustration, just a lot more anger. Mm -hmm. And, um, And of course, anger is kind of this unusual emotion in that it moves us to action. It's very hard to sit in anger. Uh, and I wonder if you're seeing that. And of course, with addiction, there's also this saying, right? Um, self-righteous anger is the, quote, dubious luxury of normal man, meaning that that's the thing that can often get people in recovery in a lot of trouble. So I wonder if you are seeing that. I'm seeing some anger. I want to touch by, back to something you were talking about earlier just a minute ago with the anxiety and, the, and um, future casting. You know, in terms of the uncertainty, a lot of people want to future cast and say like, well, you know, I think this is going to happen and this is going to be terrible and this is why it's going to be terrible. And going back to the uncertainty that you were saying, the freedom of it, is it actually like things actually might not be terrible and allowing for that possibility. And I think getting back into skills for anxiety, you know, allowing for the possibility that actually like we have a the beauty of COVID in this time is the internet and that scientists are sharing data that scientists are sharing all these things across countries and, you know, within countries, across countries. And so the uncertainty is actually like, well, maybe something, they will come up with something really great. Maybe there will be these solutions that we couldn't have even conceived of 
prior to this. So the beauty, allowing for the uncertainty, allowing for the positive parts of the uncertainty also to come out and saying that, you know, despite the fact that you typically are someone who, you know, future casts really negative things based on your anxiety, the, the truth is, is that we don't know if the negative things are going to happen. And it's actually just as likely that positive things could be coming from this also. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I really appreciate you saying that the positive parts of the uncertainty, because um, it really allows for, if people are let, let themselves see it, it really allows for the possibility that beauty could come from this and that amazing breakthroughs could come from this too. Um, so I just wanted to touch base on, touch back on that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how I also tend to try to look at it. Like, well, actually maybe all kinds of really positive things. Like we can look at the George Floyd situation by itself for a second and say, okay, yeah, obviously this is, this is horrible. This has been going on for way too long. These are really obvious, just blasphemous injustices. And maybe there's a chance that it can start to change now that it is really becoming something that people are saying enough, uh, you know? And the other thing that's really interesting about the protests is if it wasn't for COVID, a lot of these people wouldn't be able to protest. They wouldn't be able, they'd be at work. They wouldn't be able to be in the streets in such large numbers. And so even though that may then also continue to spike COVID in the end, who knows, we don't know, but the upside to that is people have the freedom and the time to be in the streets and to be protesting. And that may in the end produce change. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I think we've seen a higher chance of change in this time with the protests than we ever have, you know, and I think the fact that, you know, people are focused on this only, you know, the devastation from COVID on black and brown communities is terrible. And it's shown a real light on the fact that that's what's happening. People have pre-existing conditions more, more the higher chance of that, you know, because they don't get this great medical care because doctors don't believe what they're saying because all these pieces of it and because living people are living in really close quarters, all of these things lead to this like perfect storm of, of increased death in that, in those communities with that, along with, Amy Cooper, along with George Floyd, it leads this time when people are ready to fight. And they're saying, this isn't okay. I don't want this to happen anymore. And so, you know, I think you're, what you're saying is exactly right. You know, the, the timing is really interesting because what you're saying is true. If people were working, they wouldn't have a chance to protest. These wouldn't be as readily available as they are. And people wouldn't be as ready to go down and protest because they would have work. They'd be tired from work. They'd be obligated to be other places. And now they're saying, no, I'm actually, I have the time and space to devote to this. And I'm seeing it. I'm really, really seeing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that there is a greater chance now for change than ever. And so I think that part of it is really great that people are using this time to do those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to get together and do those things. Yeah, and the other thing that's really interesting, you know, like you said, you know, we're able to see it because um, it's so obvious, right? All of the, you know, the way that this is affecting the black and brown communities, the way that there is such socioeconomic just discrepancy in life experiences and just the injustice on so many levels. But the other thing that right away I saw was how we are all tuned into the same kind of news. 
So, you know, normally there's so many different outlets for our attention between sports, between different media outfits, between, you know, all the different ways that online and social media and everything else that we get our news. But then all of a sudden with COVID, we were all plugged into like these five news sources very, very closely, maybe less than that, which is really unusual to have everybody at home staring at like four stations on TV. And then all of a sudden you would see how that was also affecting just popular culture and culture in general. And this George Floyd situation, it, that also, I think, has been a real, has been a real player in how everybody's reacting. You know, being able to see these protests all over, giving, you know, people enthusiasm and excitement to go home and protest wherever they are as well, despite COVID, which is also another really interesting variable. It's like, no matter how scared we are, this is more important. We're going to go out in the streets. You see that there's a lot of young people, but it's not just black and brown faces. It's lots and lots of people of very mixed colors all out in the streets. And, you know, it's, it is, um, and then you also have sort of like the, the way that the different politicians are responding mm -hmm. to the protesting is also adding this like really interesting, um, unique flavor to all of what we're seeing as well. So like it is, it's sort of forcing people's opinions and forcing people to action in sort of one way or another. And um, I mean, it's a fascinating, just stepping back from it all and looking at how this is all playing out, it certainly is fascinating. But the level of, look, we're in uncharted territory. Nobody has any idea where this is headed. And every day it seems like we're getting new curveballs being thrown into the mix. So trying to get a grip on certainty as you were saying, managing anxiety, managing the emotional kind of fallout from all this is very difficult <laughs> because yeah. things are changing so quickly. And it's interesting because, you know, I was speaking with, I have several white clients and they're speaking about kind of acknowledging the guilt that they're feeling mm -hmm. about um, their not intentional racism, but the fact that they, you know, are liberal and they you know, live in New York and they think they've done a lot of the right things and they're realizing that they haven't done all the things they could be doing and they don't have all the knowledge they could be having. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, when people are experiencing uncertainty, a lot of times they're, they're grasping for something to do, right? They want an action. They want something to do so that they can know this is certain and this is, you know, this will produce the result. And so what a lot of people are doing, you know, are researching these things now. They are becoming more informed. Again, people have a lot of free time right now and, you know, and, and they're feeling uncertain. So saying, what can I do? You know, I spoke with a client yesterday who's now reading white fragility, you know, when she thought that everything she was doing is right previously, you know? And so now she's acknowledging and she's reading and she's understanding and really seeing that what she was doing really wasn't enough. And so, you know, I think that uncertainty can lead to, like I was saying before, an uptick in um, substance use behavior and, you know, again, almost as something, as something way to grasp for certainty. But a lot of people actually, instead of turning to substances, they're turning to knowledge mm. to help them, they're donating and they're turning to knowledge to help them understand better what's happening in our world. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that part of it is really wonderful. And, you know, cause again, getting back into addiction, like shame and guilt and those feelings of looking back on your past behaviors can really lead back into, you know, a lot of use. And so I think this can bring up a lot for people 
feeling shameful about themselves. And so, but you know, the question is, okay, so now, you know, we're angry, right? Like you were talking about before, there's a lot of frustration, you know, anger is an action emotion. They want to do something. And so, but the great thing is actually, I think people are, if they're able to hone it and say like, how can I use this action, this drive for good? They're reading, they're protesting, they're going out. And you know, a lot of the protests I've seen, everyone's wearing a mask, you know? So everyone's trying to protect themselves from COVID. And so despite the fact that this, you know, it could lead to a spike in COVID cases. I hope it doesn't, um, but it definitely could. But people are trying to, you know, in the midst of all of this, they're trying to stay safe because they know that this is something they don't want. They don't want this to perpetuate, but they also are saying, this is like you're saying, it's so important that I go and I do something because this isn't right. They're seeing the injustice. And so, but acting on the injustice and not just saying, okay, well, this is happening. It's another time when this happened. They're really taking action, which is a really beautiful thing to see. Um, you know, and so I hope more people use the feelings of frustration, the feelings of being pent up, the anxiety about COVID, not knowing the future, like really feeling that uncertainty. And like you're saying, it boils together into a frustration using this as an outlet and saying, okay, this is something I can do. I can learn more. I can watch in documentaries, you know, by Ava DuVernay. I can watch these things. I can understand. I can read books. I can do these things so that this is, this doesn't continue. This doesn't perpetuate moving forward. This has happened for centuries. I mean, this is not new. You know, the murder was, was new this week, you know, last week, but the fact that police brutality has been happening is not new. Um, and so, but really shining a light on it and saying like, we're not going to be in the dark about this anymore is really beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's taking those action steps. I think is really wonderful. And, you know, and again, like tying it back to addiction, letting these be the steps forward instead of falling back on, I'm feeling uncertain. I don't like what's happening. I feel shame and guilt about my, my history, my family's history, you know, my grandparents owned whoever, you know, which I've talked to some people about that that's been their experience or, you know, I know that, you know, other clients and, you know, I know that my father, grandfather, grandmother, you know, has a history of racism. I've heard them say racist things. And so bringing a lot of that shame on themselves and saying, you know, what could I do? I don't want this to continue. And encouraging people to have those conversations. So learn about really gather the knowledge and having those conversations with people in their lives mm -hmm. um, and letting that be the drive forward instead of saying, instead of just sitting in the shame and sitting in the guilt about it and saying like, I can't handle it. I just need to make it go away. Mm -hmm. Letting it be a, letting it be a push for action. Yeah. I think that's really important, important advice too. Right. Um, I have some friends who right now are, you know, not savvy to mental health. They try to do their best uh, and are looking at the world around them and are feeling that shame and guilt and are feeling overwhelmed with emotion and have absolutely no idea what to do with it and are kind of like hiding in bed, sleeping a little bit longer, not wanting to face the day, those kinds of things, feeling that like low level of depression and anger and anxiety. And of course, you know, drinking a little bit more wine at night and all of that. Um, and I think certainly I, I would sort of say be of service. Where mm -hmm. can I be of service? Because definitely when we take action that is aligned with our values, 
it can offset that feeling of shame and guilt from the past because we say, look, no, no, I'm a good person. I'm, I'm doing what I can. It may not be enough, but I'm doing what I can today. And that feels really good. So when we do help other people, even if it's just something silly, like, you know, um, helping, giving up your seat or your line in the grocery store or anything that you think is accessible to you, maybe you can't just go protest, but whatever it is, um, trying to do something that aligns with your values, I think can be a really big kind of support through all of this as well. Absolutely. You know, engaging in values driven actions, you know, I think is so huge. And a lot of people, it's interesting, a lot of people don't know what their values are if you ask them. But when you're able to really have a discussion with people about like, well, what do you value? Why do you value these things? And then look forward and say, okay, so this is something I see that you value. You value kindness. You value family. You value um, justice. Okay, great. Where do you see that you are acting in accordance with your values? Where do you see that you're not acting in accordance with your values? And really exploring that with people. And then, because people sometimes don't always acknowledge the behaviors that they're doing. They don't see it. They don't understand it. They just, sometimes people just act without thinking or without realizing that they're thinking, you know, or a lot, of driven, a lot of times we're driven to behaviors by unconscious actions or unconscious thoughts. And so, you know, really breaking it down and say, okay, so when you do this thing that is not in line with your values, how does that make you feel? You know, typically people are like, well, I don't, I don't feel great, but you know, I get through it and I do it because I, you know, I don't feel like, I don't feel like doing something else. You know, when people feel, so for example, when people feel like they're driven to action because of George Floyd, right. And then they stay in bed and then they drink a little bit at night because to cope with it, you know, where it, when the values driven action would be to go protest or to donate or to be posting things, posting resources online, reading, watching a documentary, educating yourself, reading about these things, you know, and you ask them, well, how does it feel when you stay in bed all day? And they say, well, it doesn't feel great, you know? And, you know, but oftentimes not engaging in the values driven action is the easier, easier course. Staying in bed is, you know what that's like, you know how to do that. And so people often fall back on old coping strategies that may not be effective anymore. You know, staying in bed and make you feel better for an hour, but looking back on it, typically a lot of people, sometimes people don't feel better. And so being able to encourage people to really say, okay, so this might be harder, but it might take more effort, but how do you think you'll feel when you're done? And so encouraging people to move towards these actions that really speak to their values. At the end of the day, they feel so much better. They feel so much more confident in themselves. And also they feel often less alone. You know, COVID is an incredibly isolating situation, you know, because we all have to social distance from each other and make sure that we're not talking to each other and not talk, not, not talking, but not seeing each other. And, you know, and so, you know, with the protests, it actually really brought people together. And so, but also even if you're not going out to the protests, the fact that you're engaging in this discussion, engaging with other people, it's become a worldwide thing to talk about and to fight for. And so, and, and also it just, it feels good knowing that you're doing something that is in line with your values. And so when people often see that it feels, makes them feel better and see that it works, they're more likely to do it again. And sometimes you really have to point that out to people and say like, 
Remember how good it made you feel when you did this? Yes, again, sleeping in bed is easier. Having a drink might be easier, even though it results in a lot of negative consequences. Actually, let's, let's reflect on how well that worked for you last time. Let's reflect on how good and part of a community you felt and positive you felt when you were actually moving towards the things that you value. And so that ends up being a big piece of it too, is doing the things, making the effort when it's hard, doing them, and then realizing how it really impacts you. I've seen make a big difference. Absolutely. And we talk all the time, you know, awareness is sort of the first piece, but then alignment is really the other piece. And as you said, it's, it feels so, it feels so helpful. It feels so good when you do step into action that, you know, and like you said, people don't necessarily stop and evaluate their values, but I absolutely agree that our first instinct is to do what's easier and to do what we've done before, which is to yeah. fall into your old coping, which might be include substance abuse, which might include going back to the X, which might include going back to the family system because the first instinct is that feels safe. I'm going to go home. But the problem is then you get home, been there three weeks, and you realize, I cannot do this. Everything is the way it always was. Or you get back into that relationship and you realize, no, 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 no. There was a reason why I left to begin with. Or you turn back to the substances. And sometimes, you know, maybe relapse is too strong of a word, but sometimes when somebody does have that drink and tries to go back, they realize, whoa, there's a reason why I didn't want this. Sometimes that can be the best motivation for somebody who forgets because time away from substances for some people, you know, you can glorify what they were like. Oh, I, I wish I could just have a drink at the end of the day. But then you do and you go, oh, wait a minute. This is not what I want. I feel anxious the next day. I feel horrible. I feel sick. Now I remember why I don't do this anymore. So yeah, I think people's first instinct is maybe to return to the old stuff and then go, wait, no, 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 this is horrible. But then not know what to do instead because anxiety does block our access to our right thinking. It blocks access to that prefrontal cortex. So we may forget what the stuff that worked <laughs> was and may fall back into that instinctive behavior that doesn't work really well at all. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think people may go back to old behavior. They may go back to an ex. They may go back to their family that is toxic for them. Um, you know, they may go back to substances that is toxic for them. And I think that, like you're saying, it can be the greatest motivator ever to be like, whoa, like, I don't want to be here. Wait a second. Like backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. But I think some people have to realize that. And I think part of the problem is that like start, people start feeling negative about themselves again. And they think they can't get out. And so recognizing that you do want to stop that train, I think is a huge, a huge part of it. Um, and saying like, again, it's that evaluation piece of saying, wait, I'm back with my ex, but am I even happy here? Like it's familiar and I know these patterns. And so, you know, there's some comfort and familiarity, even if they're toxic things that are happening. Um, but I think a there's a real point of strength in people saying, wait a second, actually, I, this is a bad idea. And I think some people, you know, getting back into shame and guilt and doubt, people say, well, well, I'm, I'm on this path. I may as well just keep going. 
And I think that people feel embarrassed when they make decisions that they aren't proud of, or they go back to things they aren't proud of, even if at the time they seemed right. And I think that encouraging people to acknowledge how much strength it takes to say, actually, I don't want to be here. I think that it's so strong, even though I think a lot of people have a really difficult time saying that out loud. Um, and I think that ends up being a lot of reasons why people stay in toxic situations, no matter what they are, because they don't feel comfortable coming back and saying like, I made a mistake. Like, I, you know, I, I don't want to do this. Can, can I come back to the, to what I know works for me? Cause they're worried that people are going to reject them. They're worried that their wrist is going to yell at them. They're worried that their family is going to be like, oh, we told you, you shouldn't get back with that ex-boyfriend. You know, the, they're worried about the, I told you so's. And I think that the reality is most people will come back and say like, I'm so glad that you're back. I'm so glad that you're here. You know, I know a lot of people went in the rooms when they, when they slip, when they relapse, they're really scared of going back, you know, and saying like, I have one day. But the reality is, is that in the rooms, people are like, we're so thrilled to have you here. Like, welcome back. We're thrilled that you're here, you know? And so I think there ends up being this negative bias that we put on ourselves, even though if you're able to say to someone else, say to, say to your client, like, if someone else did that same thing, how would you react? And they say, of course, I want to welcome back. I'd want to see them. I'd want them back in my life, whatever. For themselves, people have a really difficult time seeing that people are going to welcome them back with kindness and warmth. And so I think that remembering that is so important. And also just saying, like, it's actually a point of strength to say, to acknowledge that you did something that you want to reverse course on. I think that's so important. Mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned that. I have a friend in um, from AA who always reminds me that um, I was the greeter at the door at a at a meeting when they were coming like crawling back with their tail between their legs. But I didn't even know that, so I'm like, hey, you know, really excited to see them. But they remind me all the time that because I was the one with that big smile, that that gave them the strength to come in and they're sober ever since. And that was many years ago now. So you're absolutely right. Like we, of course, as you know, those that are just the open arms to run back into have no idea, but this idea of self-compassion. So in yoga, there in yoga philosophy, there is this kind of rule that everything starts and stops with self-compassion and self-love that that's the doorway to kind of like the, higher spiritual realms or whatever. And I think that's where I keep coming back to in this also is just self-kindness, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, remembering that we're all going through it, you know, and as um, health and wellness professionals, even we, I've been seeing amongst our team, just a lot of uncertainty and anxiety and um, you know, and with myself, more frustration than normal and being able to say, yeah, of course, you're human. It would be really weird and like disassociated for you not to have a reaction right now. Probably not such, such a good idea. <laughs> um, right. So trying to be really compassionate with ourselves and understanding because we are we're so perfectionistic. I think as a culture, we're so perfectionistic and a lot of the things that we were using, I mean, you know, I, COVID makes me realize how much effort we all put into building our lives. 
like brick by brick, we put so much effort, especially as New Yorkers, into squeezing as much as possible into a day, you know, making sure we're up at this time so we can exercise at this time, so we can eat at this time, so we can be at this meeting, so we can be at that meeting, right? Like you were saying, the subways and running around all the day. But all of that got taken away. And so all of our coping strategies and all that we had worked so hard at developing to be sort of sane uh, got taken away, including 12-step meetings for people that value that as well. Um, The online thing is not the same for a lot of people. And so it it really is a fascinating time in having to reevaluate, you know, what works for you. And for me, that self-compassion probably is the single most important to remember of all of the possible strategies or coping, important coping tools to, to have through this. No, I totally agree. You know, it's interesting those, you know, the saying kind of in the beginning of COVID that was, um, you know, you're not working from home, you're experiencing a crisis and you are trying to work during that crisis. You know, you are home during a crisis, trying to work during that crisis, you know, and that reframe can be so important to just acknowledge what is going on around us, you know? And so, and I think what I really appreciate about that is it takes the mental health piece first and says, let me be compassionate to myself about the fact that I'm not used to experiencing crises like this ever. This has never happened before, right? We don't know how, we don't know how to do this, you know? And, and that's, that's very real saying that like, you know, like you're saying, we're all, you know, especially living in New York, being perfectionistic is kind of like part of what comes along with your like, you know, rent is that you pay the tax on kind of being a perfectionist, you know? And so like, you know, it's, it's a big part of what it is to live here. And so to, to give yourself that kindness is so important because to say like, I don't know how to do this. You know, I think for a lot of people starting a new job, starting new situations is really hard because you want to do it perfectly the first time, you know, but, you know, then there's the common thing, you know, you, you know, you never really know what you're doing a job till six months in, right? Like take six months to know where the bathroom is, to know where the pens are, to know where all the things are. And, you know, people got into COVID and they were like, I need to do this perfectly now. It's like, well, A, there isn't perfect. B, no one's had this job before. You know, we're all trying to figure it out together. There's no way of doing this perfectly. And so being compassionate with yourself and saying, you know, like, I'm not going to do this perfectly and that's okay. And saying that, you know, I think starting and ending everything with self-compassion, I think is hugely important because also if we're not compassionate with ourselves, then we're not going to, we're going to get stuck. We're not going to move forward. We're not going to learn. You know, by being compassionate with ourselves, we can say that, like, we don't know, and that's okay. Getting back to, you know, the source of the protests, getting back to Black Lives Matter, and being someone who's not a person of color in this, you know, in this environment, saying, like, I have some learning to do, and being compassionate and saying, like, I've done a lot of learning, and there's a long way for me to go. And, and again, kind of getting back to that feelings of shame and guilt and about that perfectionism, if I get trapped into that and saying like, well, I should know all the things already. I'm not going to learn. I'm going to start drinking again. Like, you know, I'm going to do these things where to help shut down those feelings. Whereas if I can say, it's okay that I don't know, I should know more than I do, but it's, this is where I am. And that kind of getting back to that acceptance that you were talking about earlier, that acknowledgement and that acceptance you were talking about earlier and that compassion 
allows for you to take steps forward and say, this is what I can do. This is how I can move forward. This is how I can improve and make myself a better person. But without that self-compassion, we really get locked down and we really get paralyzed by those feelings of anger at ourselves for not being perfect. Mm -hmm. Yep. And an addiction, that's such a common response. That's such a common reaction to just, like you were saying, by the time someone's had a full blown career in substance use and substance abuse, there's so much shame, there's so much guilt and so easy to access on a dime. You know, a saying that a sponsor I had once, you know, once used all the time was, pick up the feather, put down the bat, you know, stop eating the crap out of yourself for not being perfect and accept that, you know, you have to be kind to yourself in order to be able to pull this off. So you got to start somewhere. Um, totally right. So we have a new person joining us. He's probably been sitting there for a while, but we were so engaged in what we were saying. And Evan's been so wonderful to talk with. Hello, Chris, our hey, one of hey. our uh, integrated wellness Evan, how are you? is here joining us. Yeah, I was trying to get in. No, I don't know where I don't know where we're at. I'm here for support. I know. Well, we I apologize for that, but we're certainly glad to have you now for our, our final, you know, 15, 20 minutes here. Yeah, bring in Rivera. Yes. So we were talking about uh, sort of self-compassion and the importance of that getting through all of this. So Chris, your story um, as kind of a point of inspiration, as someone who's you know in recovery and supports uh, others in trying to stay in recovery and um, finding their way to it. I wonder, in all of this political unrest, if that has changed the landscape in terms of what you're seeing. Because we've talked about sort of just the COVID, the impact of COVID, the impact of being on, inside on, um, you know, on people in recovery and what you're sort of seeing personally. Um, and I wonder if you're noticing anything different given the more current state of affairs. Um, as far as like this week in like meetings, what I've seen is concerned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, that's, I, I'd be lying. I said, if it wasn't mentioned, um, there's some, most of the groups I go to try to stay primary purpose focused. Um, as far as just, you know, sticking to what we can control, which is from every single day is our drug and alcohol addiction. Um, but it's also, there's a lot of leniency because, yeah, if you're not affected by what's going on, then you're not really working with the 12 steps, in my opinion, because it is all about uh, compassion and empathy, not only for yourself, but for what's going on. Um, so it has been brought up. Um, I think people are obviously shaken by it, especially being in New York with everything that's um, going on outside of the protests. Mm -hmm. um, they've been pretty good about letting people stick to the time because obviously we can talk like forever. Mm -hmm. um, but I think what it's helped me realize is I, again, I always, when we talk, I'm always grateful for <laughs> my heroin addiction, which I know sounds crazy. Um, but I grew up in a small town in the suburbs in New Jersey and by venturing out on my own, this addiction has taken me to so many different places of so many different people, shapes, sizes, religions, and whatnot, that I don't, I'm grateful because I have the experience of being in the trenches with people that don't look like me. And so I think, you know, you go into a room of Alcoholics Anonymous in New York, it's not going to be just, you know, one kind of person. And so Evan made a good point that while I, 
I'm integrated into, and I'm grateful for the fact that I, my eyes were open. Like I'm not in Kansas anymore with everything that's happening now. There's like, I still need to download it like a ton of software because <laughs> there's so much I still need to do. And I think that's what, when I jumped on, that's kind of what Evan was alluding to is, you know, I think I'm doing what I can, but in actuality, just like recovery and sobriety, there's just so many more things to unravel, but I'm grateful that I'm in a program where I'm at the end of every day looking at myself. Mm-hmm. And if this whole situation reaffirms anything for me, it's that, um, we need to collectively work on ourselves individually if real change is going to take place. Mm. So like I always use the, the like a, in a restaurant, we have the pool house. So we're like, everybody works. And no matter how much work you do, if you're on that shift, you know, you're, you make money. Um, and a lot of times what will happen is you put your best person up front and they will, you know, work their butt off and you make X amount of dollars. But meanwhile, Chris is in the back, you know, jerking around with his friends and not working, but he'll still get a piece of the pie. And so the point of the analogy is like, well, wow, what if Chris was also working hard? Think of what else we could accomplish as far as like collectively. Um, And these, you know, I'm just (laughs) another dude, but it's definitely made me more aware. And um, I think, I think hopefully good, hopefully good will come out of this chaos, you know? Well, actually, Chris, you're not just another dude. You're a member of the white privilege class. Um, And, you know, one of the things that my really overpriced education has afforded me is a lot of understanding of the ranks and files of, um, of socioeconomics and of race. And as a member of the elite class, as a white male, (laughs) you actually do have tremendous um, power and responsibility and influence that, that I think this is sort of what Evan was alluding to. People don't know. They don't know the, the truth about race. And it's not, this isn't to say that anyone's racist. That's not what I mean at all. It's just that the color of our skin gives us a certain, certain privilege in our culture that we don't have an awareness of. Like I have no idea what it's like to be followed around a store because of the color of my skin. I have no idea what it's like to be just given certain allowances because I'm a white female as opposed to a brown or a black female or whatever else, um, or a white male, right? Certain jobs that I might be able to get because of just the color of my skin or the way that I look. And, and so I think it is a really wonderful thing, Chris, that, you know, as a member of the highest privileged class, whether it feels that way or not, um, there is, I mean, just to acknowledge that and to say, hey, there's more that I can do and I have a responsibility. And I'm really glad that as a part of going, going back to addiction, service is like the central, most important part of the 12 steps. I mean, it's, you know, um, acknowledging that there's a problem and being plugged into your version of a higher power of some kind, even if it's just the group, but being of service and giving back what you've been given and being there for the community and for your community is such an enormous message in a 12 step fellowship that, um, it is something to be really grateful for it because we do know that that is what at the end of the day, 
gives us that sense of integrity that, you know, Evan and I were talking about. It gives us that feeling of like, look, I did do something. And even though I'm not perfect, and even though none of us are, right, like I did do something. And that really does go a long way, not to reverse that sense of shame about the lack of integrity in the using behavior, because nothing can reverse something. But I can look at where I am today and honestly say, I am doing what I can do. I am a contributor. I am being of service. I am uh, engaging or acting as much as I can with the integrity or in a way that matches my values. And that is something to feel good about in all of this. I think that's huge. I think, I think that, you know, I wanted to go back to what Chris was saying about being in the full house and having every single person. No, I love that. Like having every person say like, am I doing enough? You know, am I trying to be a better person today than I was yesterday? You know, am I making the effort that I, that I can, you know, and, and I think it looks different for everybody. You know, I think some people are in different levels and people are willing to do different things. Um, so I don't think that we're going to, that's going to look the same for every person, but I think we can all look at ourselves and say, am I doing, am I doing my best? Am I doing enough? Am I, am I doing my best to make the team, to make the most money for the team? Am I doing, you know, like, am I really supporting people in the best way that I can? Or am I taking shortcuts? Am I saying like, I don't feel like that today. You know, like, even though I know that I could read a chapter or I could watch a documentary, I'm going to rewatch the office instead, you know, and some days you have to do that. And some days you have to take care of yourself and do that. But I think, you know, with compassion, looking at yourself and saying, am I doing everything that I know that I can do to move forward, to make myself better today? Yeah. And sometimes I think making ourselves better is service, right? It is, it is service to the people around us. And it's so easy. We we've confused selfishness uh, and selflessness sometimes, right? Where, sometimes the thing that I can do for the people around me, the most important thing is take care of myself. Cause if, if I'm not okay and I'm not, you know, living the way that I need to be living, or if all I think about is what I should be doing and, and then I'm not measuring up to all the time and I don't change that, then it's going to negatively affect everybody that I come into contact with because we do have tremendous influence in our little microcosmic world. So it is really important that I am doing what I can, even to be of service to contribute to my insular community, especially when we're stuck in a house with the same group of people <laughs> day in and day out, right? And it can get really, you know, it can get ugly really fast in that dynamic. So just really trying, even just to be of service, like in your home, um, is doing something, I think. I think it's actually doing a lot, you know, saying it's doing something, I think actually almost minimizes it. Like, I think that the most change happens person to person in these conversations. You know, I have clients who, you know, are with their partners and their partners aren't as well versed as they are. So they say, actually, let's watch Selma tonight, Mm -hmm. you know, and then they have a discussion afterwards. And, and so I think that actually the most change that does happen happens in a discussion that you have with someone personally. And so, you know, like you're saying in your little insular communities, whether it's with your family or your partners or your friends who may not have the same views as you, and maybe that you educate yourself and you learn something new and you say, I really want to share this with you because I learned this thing and 
this really impacted my perspective on this. And I think, you know, I think protests make a lot of change. I think that they do really amazing things. And if people want to, you can turn off the news and you can ignore it. And I think that in, a, in your own communities, in your own small connections, that's where a lot of the growth happens. That's where a lot of discussions happen. Even if it's, you know, a lot of people have protests on in the background and then they're still talking about something else. They don't want to acknowledge it. Say like, actually, can we, can we talk about that? Because this is happening and I really want to discuss that instead of letting it kind of pass by. So I think that's really doing service. You know, you're doing service if you are helping the people closest to you. Get better, learn more, be more exposed. And, you know, because I think that's, like you were saying before, Sam, like being the person who was the greeter and welcoming that person back into the meeting and be like, hey, I'm so glad that you're here. That had a huge impact on that person. And I think we don't realize the impact that we can have on people around us. And, you know, a lot of times my friends, I talk about planting seeds, right? Like, so you plant the seed now, you don't know how people are going to think about it later. And all of a sudden it germinates and, you know, it, it grows into this beautiful beautiful thing about different thoughts and different ways of looking at the world just because you had the courage to have that conversation that may have been really difficult. Um, and so I think, I think that's a huge service to just say, get out of your comfort zone a little bit, even if it's uncomfortable and say, you said this thing that made me feel not great. Can we talk about it? And I wasn't okay with that. Um, and so I think that's actually a huge service to, to step outside your comfort zone and doing that with people in your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Chris, did you want to chime in there? Um, yeah, I do think the little things add up because with everything that we do, it's practice makes perfect. Um, so while, yeah, right now you may just be in the house with somebody, I think having conversation, I mean, one thing I've learned is, is <laughs> the, I, everybody, at least within the past week or so is just preaching education, education, education. Um, so I've been introduced to, I'm sure everybody knows this Jane, um, Elliot. So I was watching something and they, they, they I, I looked into that on YouTube and just within like 10 minutes, I'm like, wow, dude, <laughs> we got a long road ahead, but it, it's a little step. And so even my whole, my whole thing has always been um, being kind. So like, I might not be able to like go in and, and uh, you know, change somebody's day, but maybe I can change the five minutes or smile somebody on the street and just take that guard down of it is to be like a, you know, a guy walking around. And I think those have like snowball effects. And so a lot of times too, if you're at home, maybe you, I, I don't uh, speak very eloquently all the time. So I'll say a lot of dumb things. And so it's nice to get checked on dumb things by somebody who knows your intentions <laughs> and they can call you out on it. And then, so when I bring that forth to somebody say, who's at my bar, not that I would ever, you know, but you know what I mean? I'm more informed already of like, okay, it, it, you didn't see it from that way. And it was told to you in love. Now I can approach it to somebody else and maybe kind of broaden my perspective on, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, all of this, you know, I think sometimes with, especially with substance abuse, when someone's in the middle of an active addiction, it can feel like I'm on an island by myself and nobody sees me, I'm invisible. So my actions do not actually affect the world in any kind of meaningful way. And, and you know, 
it's very easy to not take responsibility for yourself in that way because you sort of tell yourself that I don't matter. And I think that's unfortunately actually a byproduct of feeling like I don't matter, like feeling like I am just a lowest form of life who is insignificant. So coming out of that mentality and actually realizing that, no, 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 I matter entirely. Every person I come into contact with, I'm impacting and everything I do is matters. It sort of, you know, determines what happens next, what happens next. And I love that you mentioned, Evan, the planting of the seed. I always think in those terms with clients, you know, because maybe whatever we're talking about right now has no effect. But I know for me, things that someone's mentioned 10 years later have come you know, been really, you know, useful resources in my life just because somebody mentioned it. I'm like, oh my God, I remember that person said that. Let me try that. And it works and it becomes a life-changing thing. So I think you're right. Even in the smallest ways, just having a conversation with someone right now can be hugely influential um, and really be game-changing for, for people in a way we can't see. Well, you guys, we are out of time, and I appreciate this conversation so much. Chris, I'm so sorry we didn't get to you until later in the game, but really grateful that we got to you nonetheless. Evan, Best thank you more. so much for being here. Um, Chris and I will be together again on Sunday night anyway, so uh, we'll get our chance there as well. Um, and yes, Evan, thank you so much for being here. So wonderful to hear from you. We hope we get to see you and talk with you again. I would love that. Thank you so much for having me. This is really wonderful. Yes, thank you. All right, you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Um, be well, stay safe, and stay, stay safe. safe.